alert, alert! It's the final episode of Actually It's Phytoplankton, the podcast series about ocean ecology and NASA's pace mission. I'm Jamie Cool. And I'm Lachlan McKenna. And it's me, Ivana Tetinich. Yay! We're all back together again for the last episode. I'm feeling a bit sad because it's the last time we'll actually hang out together on the podcast. It's been so much fun, you guys. Well, it's not over yet. We've got one more topic to cover about NASA's PACE mission. Navigate your way to gotocurious.com to find the episode six resource pack and listen to the podcast with some visual guides. Lucky you sound a little off today. Yeah, sorry, guys. Got a head cold. Ugh. Yeah. <laughs> so please excuse Lachlan's lovely, croaky voice. Mm. Mm. <laughs> well, I'm having some tea too because I like Lachlan, so I'm drinking tea as well. But you having tea, Lucky? Yes, having yeah. a nice warm cuppa. Lovely. Mine is cold because it's really hot here. But um, this episode, we will talk about the real world applications of pace. Um, that means who and how will pace actually help once it's been launched into space? We're wondering, okay, so you have all this information, what now? Who's going to use this stuff and how? And on that note, let's welcome our guests. These folks coordinate the PACE Project Applications and Early Adopters Program. It's Erin Urquhart, PACE Project Applications Coordinator, and Joel Scott, PACE Project Applications Deputy Coordinator. Hi, Erin and Joel. Welcome to the podcast. Hey, guys. Thank you for having us. You're very welcome. I would like to call you Batman and Robin. Everyone cool with that? Uh, maybe Holmes and Watson? No, Mario and Luigi. Maybe we should come up with one for ourselves. How about Katniss and Pita? Oh, um, oh yeah. Mm. Katniss and Pita. I was going to say, though, weren't Katniss and Pita in love? Ooh, yeah. you're right. How about this, you guys? How about the Olsen twins, Mary-Kate and Ashley? <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> yes, I love it. But my question is, why did they stop smiling in all public photos after 2000? If we're going to be Mary-Kate and Ashley, can we promise to keep smiling? I love smiling. It's a deal. Smiling Mary-Kate and Ashley. <laughs> nice. It was a very, it was a time in the early 2000s where you just didn't smile in a photo and then it went to duck face. Well, right. <laughs> Non-smiling duck face. Yeah. Okay. Mary-Kate and Ashley, it is, you guys. Uh, let you forever be known as smiling Mary-Kate and Ashley for the life of Pace. Yes. Okay, but only if we get to call the three of you Harry, Ron, and Hermione. Which one <laughs> has to be Ron? Well, I don't care as long as I'm Harry, and that's fine. Um, everybody has had this question, so I'll switch the serious part of the show. So now it's your turn. What did each of you want to be when you were 13? And you can't say to be a wizard. So I went through a little phase where I wanted to be a fire truck, but that's a story for another time. Um, in all seriousness, I wanted to be a plastic surgeon to make people look really good. When I was 13, I think I wanted to help people look their best too. Um, I wanted to be an orthodontist and help straighten people's teeth. But that was before I spent three long years in braces, which quickly changed my tune. Wow. Cool. I mean, so that is like so far from being oceanographers. <laughs> <laughs> and, and it fits kind of with Olsen twins too. And what are your jobs now at NASA Goddard Space Flight Center? Yeah. So, well, in a way, my job at NASA is still about people making people look really good. Um, and their science look really good. As the face applications coordinators, our jobs are to highlight the new and exciting ways that people are using NASA satellite data to help humanity. So for me, I've always been fascinated by satellites. So it really is a dream job for me being able to work at NASA and study the Earth from space. 
I've been with NASA for a few years and worked as a data scientist for a number of those, getting to know all of the ins and outs of satellite data. But now I work with Aaron on the applied science front. And this is really fun because we get to see satellite data in action, actually helping people out in their daily lives. What does PACE applications and early adopters actually mean for those of us who have no idea? Sure. That's a really good question, Jamie. Um, And it's important to unpack all this, you know, fancy NASA lingo. Unlike basic science, which is all about the scientific process, theories, hypotheses, you know, Albert Einstein kind of science, applied science and PACE applications takes what we know from basic science and uses it to build tools and inventions that help humans make better decisions for healthy environments and healthy people. And the PACE early adopters are a group of people who are making these tools and bringing that science to life. The early adopters are bridging the gap between science that comes from the PACE mission and the choices, management, and policies that shape the way we all live. In the first episode of our podcast, we asked this question. Is it a whale poop? Maybe it's an oil slick. Actually, it's phytoplankton. But let's imagine it's not actually phytoplankton. Let's imagine it's really an oil slick in the ocean. Is this where you guys come in? It is. PACE has some cutting edge technology on board that lets us, quote unquote, see things in the ocean like never before. If you've ever seen an oil spill, maybe in a parking lot under where a car sits, you may have noticed that these shiny reflectors almost rainbow-like colors. Pace will be able to see those colors and patterns from space. Well, maybe not in a parking lot, but in the ocean. And the tech on board will be able to tell us whether it's phytoplankton, whale poop, or an oil spill. It's just one of the amazing things that Pace will be able to do. But we hope that is never needed, since oil spills, as you know, are really bad for the ocean and environment. That being said... Pacefully ready if one does happen. So back in episode four, we talked to Amir Ibrahim about aerosols. He told us about aerosols that are okay to breathe, like salt air from Big Surf, and aerosols that are harmful, like smoke or soot. This is a bit dramatic, but what if volcano erupts? Obviously, um, this is going to create a huge amount of harmful aerosols. Who is likely to be impacted, and can pace make a difference? So Amir is right. There are some aerosols that are fine to breathe, but others can be pretty bad for our lungs and the environment. When a volcano erupts, it sends ash, soot, sulfur dioxide, and a whole bunch of other harmful particles tens of kilometers into the atmosphere. This is bad not just for humans and animals to breathe, but these aerosols, particularly sulfur dioxide, can be very harmful to airplanes and their jet engines. Airplane engines run super hot and will melt the sulfur dioxide inside the jet engine. The real danger here, though, is when sulfur dioxide re-solidifies and fuses to the engine's turbines as it leaves the engine. This clogs the engine and will cause it to fail. And as you can imagine, losing an engine on a plane mid-flight would be pretty terrifying. But be awful. <laughs> I didn't even think of that as a possibility. I, wow. Yeah. So there's so many crazy ways volcanoes can impact our Earth ecosystem. But the good news is PACE can't help. PACE will have two multi-angle instruments on board that can look at a volcano plume from a bunch of different angles and be able to figure out where, how high, and what direction that plume and its toxic aerosols are headed. With this information from PACE, air traffic controllers can route planes around these dangerous aerosols and keep them from losing engines and falling out of the sky, which is very much a good thing. Yep. (laughs) I think we can all agree. Yeah. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. When we're all allowed to fly again, that will be very helpful. So I want to remind everyone of our friend Dynaphysis. What does Dynaphysis do? A five, six, seven, eight. Gives you diarrhea. 
<laughs> Sounds beautiful, you guys. <laughs> I really don't want to get diarrhea. I don't think anybody does. But I have a one-year-old who goes to daycare and my chances are already a lot higher than I'd like them to be. But seriously, though, I do like to eat seafood such as mussels and oysters. My question for you is how do people who farm the mussels and oysters know not to grow them in a big field of dinophysis? Will pace actually make that job easier? Oof. Good luck with the one-year-old and avoiding diarrhea. (laughs) That's pretty rough. Um, But seriously, having lived in coastal New England of the United States, a region that is known for the shellfish industry, it is very important for shellfish farmers to be aware of harmful and potentially toxic algae near their shellfish operations. Along with phytoplankton species Alexandrium and Sudanisia, Dinophysis has been responsible for shellfish closures, particularly off of Cape Cod in Massachusetts in the recent years. PACE's advanced technology will help us quote-unquote see who's who in terms of phytoplankton communities and allow us to identify dinophysis in the water. It also allows us to detect how much harmful algae is in the water, how long it's sticking around. PACE data can be used to watch the development of harmful algal blooms like dinophysis, which will help farmers and water managers make decisions on where to plant and when to harvest shellfish that ultimately will save a lot of money and keep a lot of people from getting diarrhea. Yay! (laughs) Well, there's no problem for me. I'm allergic to shellfish, but I can eat fish. And in Australia, fish and chips is a favourite food of many, especially down at the beach. So let's just say there's an area of ocean where the fish are eating plankton because they love it, nom 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 nom, and commercial fishermen go there and catch some fish. Obviously, we don't want to overfish that area. How would marine parks normally manage that and is there information from Pace that would help them? Allergic to shellfish. Ooh, super sad face. I know. <laughs> I guess that just means <laughs> there's going to be more mussels and oysters for me. But no, in all seriousness, you're right, Lachlan. Overfishing is a huge threat to our oceans, and it can really hurt all kinds of sea life. When fishermen remove fish from the water faster than they can reproduce, it leads to that species becoming underpopulated, which has bad consequences for the environment and marine ecosystem. It completely throws off the food chain. While PACE will not be able to see individual fish from space, it will provide important data to use in marine ecological forecasting models. That's kind of a complicated term, but basically it just means that we take physical ocean information like water temperature and ocean currents, and we combine that with things that PACE sees, like how much plankton and light are in the water column. We can better monitor fish stocks in marine parks and designated fishing areas. These models, powered by PACE data, can then be used by fishery managers to make sure fishermen are following the rules and to protect and conserve endangered marine species. This makes sure that we have a safe and sustainable fishing, i.e. fish and chips, for everyone. I know it seems like million years ago, but last year before COVID pandemic, I was texting my cousins in Australia and Jamie and Lachlan a lot just to make sure that they were safe. And I was sending donations to Australian Red Cross because Australia was experiencing terrible bushfires. Yeah, it honestly was the worst bushfire season that we've ever experienced. And there was so much smoke and the air quality was terrible for months. People with existing respiratory conditions like asthma really suffered during this time. We personally didn't know if it was safe to go outside or not. And our son was still an infant. So it was scary for sure. So question for you, Aaron and Joel, is space going to help at understanding air quality safety during times of natural hazards such as bushfires? Yeah, wildfires are definitely scary. Um, Both Joel and I have lived in California, so we are no stranger to the very real dangers of bushfires, both for our own safety and having to evacuate ahead of the fire, but also for air quality. I'm sure during bushfire season, you've noticed the sky darkens and turns an eerie orangish red color. Wildfires release tons of ash and soot, 
aerosols in their smoke plumes that can block the sun and change the color of the sky. This smoke and ash can definitely affect the air we breathe. Bushfire smoke can also drift across entire oceans and affect the air quality both locally, near the fire, and continents far away. When these pollutants are high in the atmosphere, they don't directly affect the air we breathe, but as gravity pulls them back to Earth, these particles can become very dangerous and affect our lungs and health. Pace will be able to track plumes of fire ash and soot as they float through the atmosphere and fall out over the ocean and land. Pace data will be used by air quality managers and forecasters to be able to advise you whether or not it's safe to go outside or if you should mask up before heading out. That's great. That's really important. And finally, Star Wars or Star Trek. Oh man, don't make me choose Star Trek. (laughs) While there are a lot of childhood nostalgia for Star Wars, Star Trek has had a bigger impact on society and technology. It has influenced and inspired so many scientists, physicists, inventors that have gone on to do really good things. And well, John Luke Picard is pretty dreamy. Need I say more? (laughs) Oh, I'm going to have to disagree with you here, Aaron. I'm a Star Wars fan through and through, but the original ones, so episodes four, five, and six, give me Chewie, Luke, Leia, and Han aboard the Millennium Falcon any day over Captain Picard and the USS Enterprise. I'm the big fan of the new films, but not the current new ones, like the, the ones with Hayden Christensen and Ewan McGregor. I love, I'm the only person on the planet. I love those. Phantom Menace, <laughs> worst film ever. I don't, maybe not Phantom Menace, but the Revenge of the Sith and the Attack of the Clones are my favorite Star Wars oh, Revenge movies. of the Sith is the best. I just really yeah. like Hayden Christensen as Anakin Skywalker. Oh, Hayden, really Hayden, like Hayden is so good. I like, <laughs> so I like teenage Hayden. <laughs> I mean, I'm also here for Natalie Portman. I yeah. mean, yeah, she's great too. And I, I really I love just, it. I just love it all. I'm just like, I love it all. So thank you so much, Erin and Joel, for showing us how pace will help people in the real world. It was a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Yeah, thank you guys for so much for having us. As I mentioned, I'm a satellite nerd, and I love being able to talk about how NASA science can help society, whether that's by making air travel safer, fishing practices more sustainable, or just knowing that beaches and lakes are safe to swim in. And that the air outside is safe to breathe. Oh, thanks, Mary-Kate and Ashley. (laughs) (laughs) So this week, we have a great at-home activity for you. If you're in Australia, we want you to get out there and do some field work with Eye on Water. It's an app that allows citizen scientists to collect data about water colour and quality. Your measurements will be compared with satellite observations. Using the Ion Water app, you can collect field data that is added to a national database, and this information is then used by oceanographers to verify the quality of satellite data. And if you're not in Australia and still want to play, you can get involved with a different app called Ion Water Color and Clarity. So follow the links on our Episode 6 resource pack at gotocurious.com or search ionwater.org and download the Ion Water Australia app. And a special note for science teachers, Ion Water Australia also has national curriculum-aligned lessons and activities for Year 9 and 10 Biodiversity and Ecology units. So this is definitely something you want to check out. The Ion Water Australia Initiative is a cooperation between CSIRO, Geoscience Australia, and Ion Water. A lot of smart people helped develop this project in Europe, and we acknowledge your contribution to creating this excellent resource. Learn more on ironwater.org. Hey, Jamie, guess what? What? This week is everyone's last chance to win a prize pack. Oh, wow. You better get on over to our Facebook page to find out the details of how to enter the draw. Do it now. Good luck. Ivana, Lachlan, it's the end of the series. Oh. Oh, Oh, don't worry. Maybe we do another season. Oh, that would be amazing. 
If you have enjoyed this podcast and would like us to help you with science communication, please get in contact via email, science at gotocurious.com. We'd love to hear about your research and how we can work with you to engage the general public. Ivana, Lachlan, do you guys have any thoughts before we go? Um, Last chance. (laughs) Yeah, I know. This was so much fun. I hope we can do it again. I hope I can come to Australia and do this again. I, I can I sound so much better in Australia if I do all this stuff in Australia. I sound so much better. I don't know if we mentioned this in the first episode, but this project was not originally a podcast. At first it was a tour where Ivana was going to fly to Australia and Lachlan and Ivana were going to do talks around Queensland that you could physically come to and meet them. So we really hope that you can come again soon and we can do our tour of the podcast. But on the upside, we've got to hear from a lot more people who are working on pace over at Goddard. Definitely have. There's been some goods and some bads. There's been some really good, really good goods. (laughs) Really good goods. Really good goods. I don't have much more to say other than it's been really enjoyable talking to everyone, learning things about PACE that even though I'm involved in the project, I hadn't thought about even. But I just realized we haven't asked Jamie what she wanted to be when she was 13. (gasps) Yay, I finally get to answer the question. (laughs) I just wanted to be a movie star. Just simple. <laughs> I wanted to be. A, I wanted to be an actor. I wanted to be a performer, Broadway star. Obviously, I'm not a Broadway star, but I did get to work in the performance industry um, for my career, which has been really amazing. So, yeah, I didn't want to be a scientist. I'm sorry, guys. But it's been really great to be able to use my skills as an artist to help communicate these science ideas and concepts as well. Yeah, it's been great. So we've had an incredibly fun time making this podcast. I've had such a great time with you guys and I hope to do it again soon. The best thing for me about this is that now I know so much more about PACE and ocean ecology. So Lachlan and I have actually known each other for 14 years and we've been married for six years. If you didn't pick up on that at home that we were married, then there you go. (laughs) But this is the most interest that I've ever shown in his work. Sorry, Lachlan. (laughs) And it is a lot more exciting and a lot more important than I have ever given it credit for. So thank you guys and thank you to everybody who works on PACE. You're doing such an amazing job. And for all those young listeners out there still in school, we hope that this podcast has helped you not only learn about phytoplankton, but also the breadth of careers attached to a satellite mission. Even though this is a science podcast, to make science happen requires a team with diverse skills, including arts practitioners like Jamie, who help us communicate our science to the world. So farewell, plankton lovers. It's been a blast. Stay Go To Curious. Actually, It's Phytoplankton is a Go To Curious production proudly supported by an advanced Queensland Engaging Science grant provided by the Queensland Government. Thank you to NASA Goddard Space Flight Centre Ocean Ecology Laboratory for collaborating with us, providing in-kind support and credited use of education and outreach resources. Special thanks to Ivana Sertinich and Lachlan McKinna, who work with me behind the scenes in the writing and preparation of the series. Our theme song and all podcast music is composed by me, Jamie Cool. I also edit the series and create the supporting materials on our website, gotocurious.com, in collaboration with Ivana and Lachlan. Logos, website and social banners designed by Boone Creative. Our custom podcast t-shirts and totes are made especially for kids by Zay and B Designs. 